I want to remind you what exactly it is we're accomplishing or what it is we're hoping to do as we pray together. Uh, we're praying for three, in kind of three areas, local, national, and global. Uh, as far as our global prayers go, you have an insert in the bulletin that uh, covers a different part of the world and a different prayer focus. Uh, and then for our, uh, uh, for our local, for our church prayer today, uh, I've, I've pointed these books out to you before. I want to point them out to you again. Really helpful, really concise, really helpful guide in how to pray. Uh, this is five things to pray for your church. Uh, and so I'm going to base our, uh, our church, our local church prayer today on Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles and read those verses, you can kind of see, uh, hopefully what that does is kind of trains you in the praying of Scripture. Uh, so you can, how you can read a passage in the Bible and then pray that passage for yourself or for your family, for your church, etc. Uh, and then also I would mention that Today is uh, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, so the, you may know that the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that uh, legalized abortion on demand in America. Uh, during this time of year, uh, we also we observe Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So I'll be praying to that end, uh, that God would act uh, in justice in our nation uh, to bring, of course, abortion to an end. Uh, but that really, even deeper than that, that we would see that all of humanity is made in the image of God. Uh, and so whether that applies to the unborn, uh, whether that applies to the elderly, uh, to all ethnicities, uh, to all socioeconomic levels, uh, all of life is sacred to God and He alone uh, is the good and just uh, creator and judge of humanity. Uh, and so our role is to, um, to pray that that would be recognized in every aspect of our lives. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, uh, we thank you, we rejoice that uh, we can enter your presence and we can pray uh, because uh, Jesus has opened the door for us. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we lift up the Green family, we continue to pray for Wade and we pray God that you would, uh, that you would heal his body as he's had to go back in for another operation still in the ICU. Lord, uh, I pray that, uh, that this operation has done the trick. Uh, Lord, that it has, has fixed whatever it is um, that's been going wrong. And Lord, that, uh, that you would bring relief for the pain that he feels. Father, we also rejoice with the Wallace family and the birth of little Eden. And pray, God, for her, uh, for Austin and for Brandy as they raise her. We pray that uh, we would come alongside them and help raise her in the fear and admonition of the Lord. God, we pray that she would come to know you uh, at an early age, that she would even be able to say that there was uh, not a time when she did not know you as her Lord and Savior. Lord, for our church, I pray uh, what we find in Acts 2. God, we thank you that you have given to your church uh, the apostles' teaching, the scriptures. And pray, God, that we would be committed uh, to, devoted uh, to, to learning from the scriptures together, whether that's on Sunday mornings or in small groups or one-to-one. God, I pray that, uh, that we would be committed to attending even at the end of a draining day or a hectic week, that our hearts and minds would be engaged and stirred by Your Word as we meet week to week. 
Lord, I pray that we would also be devoted uh, to fellowship, uh, to forging meaningful relationships together. Lord, that we would be uh, a church who not only goes deep in the Word, but also deep in relationship with each other. God, I pray that we would be a church devoted to prayer that a culture of prayer would permeate our church, uh, and that You would make us into a people who delight in coming together to pray. Lord, and even as we see these early believers selling property and possessions to give to anyone who has need, Lord, that we would be sacrificial in our generosity, always ready uh, to meet each other's material, emotional, and spiritual needs. Lord, that is a daunting task, and we ask for Your grace to accomplish it in us. Father, and I pray uh, that uh, just as we saw the early church, uh, as you as we saw you add to the early church in number, Lord, I pray that we would be a community uh, that is welcoming to newcomers among us, and that you would grow us, uh, God, that people would come into our gatherings and be introduced to Jesus, that. Uh, God, people would see You at work in our lives and they would put their faith in You. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray that we would be a land uh, where human life indeed is sacred. That, That people are not given dignity because of their usefulness, rather that their dignity because they are made in your image would be apparent to us, particularly those of us who call on your name. Lord, that we would work to the ends of justice for every human. God, that uh, whether that applies to the unborn or the elderly, Lord, that, that we would hold human life sacred as a people and as a country and as a nation. And Father, we lift up uh, North and South America and the Caribbean to You. Lord, we pray for a revival. Uh, where Your church exists, Lord, we pray for revival there, for a strengthening and discipling, uh, maturing of those uh, who name the name of Christ in these places. But also, Lord, that You would use Your church in the Americas uh, to spread the good news around the world. Father, now as we turn to Your Word, we ask that You would help us to hear it, unstop our ears, uh, and open our eyes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. The, uh, The next several passages in Luke have to deal with how people approach God, different uh, different kinds of people who are approaching God. So uh, we're going to see a couple of things today. Next week, the rich young ruler, a blind beggar after that, and Zacchaeus. So there are going to be some familiar stories, but all of them kind of on the same theme, who it is that draws near to Jesus uh, and how that might surprise us. And so today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. And we are going to start reading in verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way, 
God, I thank You that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask for his help in reading and understanding it. Again, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the gift that it is, that You are not silent, but that You speak to us. Lord, I pray that You would expose us, that You would show us our deep, deep need of Your grace, so that we would also see the deep, deep love that You have for us in rescuing us by Your grace. Would You uh, cause us to cry out for You, to be like this tax collector. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is uh, election time. My most favorite time. Do you love... It is kind of nice that we don't we don't have uh, cable we don't we don't watch uh, we don't watch like regular TV much. That means like we don't catch all the ads that we used to catch. Remember when we lived in Mississippi and um, yeah, it's pleasant, uh, right? Because uh, not all not all politicians not all aspiring politicians. But if you go to community events etc., you'll see all these guys with name tags kind of strutting around like proud roosters convincing you that they are really the best choice uh, for a job they've never done or a job maybe they've done for way too long. Uh, again, that's not every, uh, that's not every politician. Uh, that's not every public servant. Uh, but it is interesting uh, how the season changes uh, the way that people approach you. Um, all of a sudden, glad, glad smiles and handshakes where before there wasn't even acknowledgement of your presence. So, um, and it reminds me uh, of what Jesus is pointing out here, this, uh, this parable that he tells. And notice uh, who he directs it to. Uh, he doesn't speak about a particular group. He speaks to a particular group. And he says, it is to those who, uh, look there in verse 9, to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous or justified. 
justified. That's the word, justified. That word comes up again in verse 14 where it tells us that uh, the tax collector went down to his house justified. That's the question that Jesus is addressing. That word justified means to have right standing before God. It means that God looks at you and says, not guilty. That God accepts you. And so the question here is, on what grounds am I accepted before God? On what grounds will I hear the ultimate judge say, not guilty? How am I justified? Uh, And the opposite of justification is condemnation, to be condemned. So how am I justified and not condemned? Uh, And Jesus answers that question uh, with one negative example and two positive. We have the Pharisee as our negative example. And then we have the tax collector as one positive. And then we have children as another positive. And we're going to unpack each one of those. Uh, We're going to take a look at the Pharisee first. And we're going to look at this first point uh, that says, Beware of your own goodness. Beware of your own goodness. And so, uh, so let's look at this. Let's look at the Pharisee. Right? Uh, Jesus is talking to people who are trusting in themselves. Uh, so, so that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid trusting in ourselves for our acceptance before God. But let's look at the Pharisee and and let's see why this is so difficult to do. Uh, we may, on the face of it, right? You may, you may, as I as I read that Pharisee's prayer, you may have heard that and thought, "Well, oh, man, I would never pray like that. Right? I would never think that way. Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee." Okay, did it. So let's just let's uh, let's let's look a little bit closer. Uh, what do you notice about the Pharisee? First, there in verse 11, he is a moral person. Right? He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. So in other words, he is a good person. Right? He handles his money correctly. He doesn't, uh, um, he doesn't extort or steal. Uh, he is a, uh, he's faithful to his wife. Right? We would look at his quality. We would look at his character and we would say, this is a good man. Right, we would look at the life of this Pharisee. Right, he's an upstanding citizen. Uh, he has done the right things. He's a good man. Uh, he's a moral person. Uh, he's also a religious person. Look there in verse 12. It says that he fasts twice a week. That's actually above and beyond uh, the normal fasting pattern of, uh, for a first century Jew. He fasts twice a week and ties on everything he gets. So in other words, uh, not only does he avoid doing what's wrong, but he proactively does what is right. In modern terminology, we would say he's at the church every time the doors are open. He's a faithful member. He serves. He gives. And even more than that, he gives God the credit. He's moral. He's religious. And he even gives God the credit for it. Did you notice that? Look at the very first part of verse 11. He says, thank you, God. So we wouldn't even rightly call this man a legalist. In, uh, right, a legalist is somebody who is working to earn their salvation. This man seems to understand that his, everything he has comes from God. Uh, 
So he's thanking God for his morality. He's thanking God that he is uh, religiously observant. He believes God is the source of his goodness. Uh, His theology is sound. He's reading the right books, listening to the right podcasts, voting for the right people. He's got the t-shirt and the coffee mug. Right? This guy is like if we're gonna if we're gonna look at somebody and say, yes, that person is who I want on my Christian team, he's the guy. Okay? So what's the problem? What's wrong with his morality and his religion uh, and even his theology? Right? Because, believe it or not, we like good morals. We think that people should be moral people. And we think that the Bible calls you to morality. Right? That the, that the Bible has demands for how one should live. So we are pro-morality. We're pro-good behavior. Um, we actually believe in healthy religion, right? We believe in religious practices that God has given uh, means of grace to help us live with Him, okay? So we, we're, we're pro that. Of course, we promote good theology. But that's precisely where the danger lies. And it's, it's because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. When we have all of that going for us, it is so easy to deceive ourselves. Because when it comes to this man's acceptance before God, he is trusting in himself. He is looking at his moral, religious righteousness and saying, This is why God accepts me. Uh, in theological terms, we would say he is using his sanctification uh, as a standing before God instead of his justification. He's looking at his growth in holiness, his behavior, and saying, This is why God will accept me. This is why God will accept me. That's, that's the problem. He's basically saying, thank you God for accepting me because of what I'm doing. Because of how I'm living. Let me give you a, a, a good example. Uh, every, uh, every year we provide something like this, a, a Bible reading plan. Uh, and we put it in the bulletin so that you can follow along. And, and we do this as a help to your spirituality. We do it to help you uh, spend time consistently in the Bible, reading through the whole Bible so that you're familiar with God's Word. We think it's a good tool. But herein lies the danger. Here, here's the danger of all these little checkboxes. Uh, because as you start going through, right, you start checking, and then you start doing this. You say, man, well done, good and faithful servant. I spent 15 minutes reading the Bible today. Then another five minutes in prayer. God must love me. Right? That's what we do. Uh, we take even the good things... And we use those as standing before God. We use those as acceptance before God. Which is exactly what this Pharisee is doing. And, those are, and that's deadly. Because what's the result? Look in verse 14. It says that this man does not go down to his house justified. The opposite of justification is condemnation. This man is doing everything right and he leaves the temple condemned. All 
of his do-gooding is actually deadly to him because he has deceived himself. This man who is doing everything right is condemned because he's trusting in himself. Now, how do I know if this is me? Kevin, that sounds really scary. Help me figure out if this is me or not. Well, one way to know if this is what you are doing, if this is me, is to examine your attitude towards others. Look at verse 9. It says, uh, Jesus told this parable to those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so they were disgusted with other people. Like this, tax, like this Pharisee, right? They, they looked at the spiritual lives of others and said, could do better, right? Treated others with contempt. So, so do you have a high view of your own behavior and a low view of others? That would be a good test question to figure out if you're, if you're trusting in yourself. Look at verse 11, there the end of his prayer. Or actually, look at his whole prayer. I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he gives a list. And then he says, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm a Presbyterian. That I've got all of my theology straight and I'm not like those heathen Baptists and Methodists. Right? Uh, So... Do you despise people who don't have it together as much as you do? That might be a good indication that you are trusting in yourself for your own righteousness. J.C. Ryle was a British pastor. He says this, In all our self-examination, let's not try ourselves by comparison with the standard of men. Let us look at nothing but the requirements of God. He that acts on this principle will never be a Pharisee. Right? It's, it's easy to feel pretty good about yourself when you're looking at the faults and failures of others. And what Ryle is saying is, no, no, no. Look at God's standard. Fix your eyes on the perfection, the, the, the beautiful, holy perfection of God. And then, then you'll, then you'll really get a sense of where you stand. Then you'll really get a sense of how you measure up. It'll be, if this Pharisee had a good idea of who it was he was talking to when he prayed this way, he would not have prayed this way. He would not have prayed this way. So, so what's the alternative? Uh, right, if I need, I need to beware of my own goodness. Right, I need, to, I need to be careful that I'm not looking at how put together my life is, how often I'm doing the religious thing, right, that I, that I look pretty well put together. I need to be careful. That's deceptive. I could be trusting in myself. Uh, but what's the alternative? And we see this in the tax collector in the second point. We look away from ourselves. Look away from ourselves. 
Uh, look at the, the tax collector. He is the polar opposite of the Pharisee in a couple of ways. First, uh, when Jesus uses the example of the tax collector, this person would have been the opposite from the Pharisee culturally and religiously. Uh, culturally, he would have been disdained by his neighbors. Right? If everybody wanted to be around the Pharisee because he was the good guy... Everybody wanted to avoid the tax collector because he was because automatic assumption he's a thief and he sympathizes with the Romans and we don't want anything to do with him. Right? In fact, it even became synonymous tax collectors and sinners. Like that phrase just goes together. So if we're good people, right, we want our kids to hang So we'll use this example. If you want your kids to hang around those who are the best example, you would tell them, go hang out with Sammy Pharisee, not with Joe the tax collector. Alright, so culturally and religiously, he is opposite of the Pharisee. Uh, he would have been considered by his neighbors as far from God. So, but not only is he opposite of the Pharisee in the eyes of others, but he's also the opposite of the Pharisee in his approach to God. Look at, look at what he does. He stands off at a distance. Right, he... Uh, in the, the Jerusalem temple had several courts by which you could approach and offer prayers. Uh, it's likely that this, this man is standing as far back as he can stand. Uh, he, he, won't even, he won't even lift up his eyes. That's how uh, humiliated he is. He won't even lift up his eyes as he prays. He won't lift up his eyes to heaven. And he's so moved by his own sin that he beats his chest while he prays. When was, the, when was the last time you were so emotionally moved and disgusted with yourself that you beat your chest in prayer? I've, I've never done that. But that is, that is this man. And then listen to his prayer. It's very straightforward, very simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's that's the prayer of a man who knows he has nothing to offer. That's That's a man who knows that he has no right to stand where he's standing. He knows that he has nothing. He brings nothing to the table. No record. He, he doesn't have the spiritual scorecard of the Pharisee. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't look at his own spiritual progress and pat himself on the back. Rather, he's broken by the ugliness of his own son. And so all he can do, his only hope, his only trust, is God's mercy. That's the only thing he clings to. And what's the result? Verse 14 Jesus says, Truly I say to you, which is Jesus' way of saying, pay attention, this is important. Truly I say to you, this man, the one who has no spiritual scorecard or progress, this man is the one who went down to his house justified, accepted. God accepted this man and not the other. Why? Because this man looked outside of himself. This man knew he brought nothing to the table, and so he threw himself completely on the mercy of God. That is what brings justification. 
We don't know anything about his spiritual progress. We don't know anything about his morality because he doesn't even mention it. He may have been a great guy for all that we know, but he didn't think that he was. And that's key. All we know is that he is banking everything on God's mercy and nothing on himself. That's how we ought to approach God, right? When we, when we feel that tendency to bank on our own righteousness, to kind of look at our spiritual progress, our feeble attempts at holiness, and say, well, thankfully I'm doing a whole lot better than that person. We need to remember the tax collector. Instead of my neighbor's badness or my own goodness, I need to remember God's mercy. And then Jesus gives us a third example. Um, when he talks about children. And so, first, I beware my own goodness. Second, I look outside of myself. And then third, I come needy. I come needy. Uh, in that uh, small section there, it starts at verse 15, people are bringing their infants, their small children, possibly even as old as a toddler, so very young children, to Jesus so that He will bless them. Right? So that He will say a blessing over them. And the disciples rebuke these people. They say, no, 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 no. Don't, don't bring your children over here. Why? Why would they do that? Well, in the first century, uh, in this culture, uh, unlike in our culture, parents did not worship their children. Uh, And so children weren't really seen as very valuable. Basically, the younger they were, the more invaluable they were because they couldn't really contribute anything to the family. Your worth as a person, your worth as a child, really began to materialize when you could do something on the farm or in the shop. But until that moment, children, they belong over there. And so, and so the disciples are saying, listen, hey, guys, Jesus doesn't have time for that. He's got, he's got important things to do over here. Uh, so he doesn't have time uh, to lay hands on and bless your children. Uh, And so, but Jesus corrects his disciples and he sees this teachable moment. And look what he says. He says in verse 16, Let the children come to me. Which should tell us uh, as a side note that Jesus does value children. But we're going to see why here here in a minute. Uh, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that Every child is in the kingdom until they send their way out of it? No. Uh, is, is he saying that it's because little babies are innocent and that's what's going on here? So innocent people enter the kingdom? No. Uh, Jewish culture didn't believe that little babies were innocent and we don't believe that either. Um, they don't look, if you've ever asked a child... Uh, you know, to explain their actions to you, um, you're gonna you're gonna get some interesting responses, uh, right? They're, uh, they're they may not be aware that what they're doing is sin, but they're very aware that they're sinning. Um, uh, and an infant, of course, um, you know that that delightful scream in the middle of the night. Um, 
that's 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 them wanting to control the universe okay like they're demanding that you show up and give them what they need okay they just don't have the words to to use and so they scream instead um it's not innocence, right? Uh, Jesus says there in verse 17, Truly I say to you, there he says it again, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What Jesus is pointing to is not the innocence of the child, but the dependence of a child. That, I mean, even uh, in a sense, Jesus is saying, You're right. These children have nothing to offer. And that's exactly why. That's why you need to emulate them. They are so helpless and needy that someone else had to bring them. They couldn't even bring themselves to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's how you enter the kingdom. Recognize your neediness. Recognize your dependence. In other words, all you need is your need. I'm going to sing a hymn in a minute called Come Ye Sinners. And one of the lines goes like this. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requires is to feel your need of Him. And then it says this. This He gives you. So even your need, even that recognition of your need is given to you by Jesus. Like He does everything from the first to the last. So Kevin, are you saying that my sinfulness is what makes me right before God? That I'm accepted uh, because I'm a sinner? No. Acknowledging your sinfulness is key, but even that won't justify you. How does God justify sinful people like me, unlike you? Well, here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 1, 28-31. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, there's that word again, and sanctification and redemption. So, we are justified not because of our goodness and not because of our badness. We are not justified by looking at ourselves at all. We are justified, accepted, made right before God by looking to Jesus. He is our justification. We cannot look at our progress in the faith and say, God is happy with me. Ever. We only ever always look back to Jesus and say, God is happy with Jesus, therefore He is happy with me. Yes, I'm reading the Bible more than I used to. Yes, my prayer life has changed. Yes, by God's grace, I think, hopefully, I'm a better husband and father than I used to be. None of those gains me brownie points with God. All 
all of those come from my relationship to Jesus, who has scored all the points before Him that I need. And therefore, when I look at other people, I don't have to hold them in contempt at all. I can see their spiritual works in progress just like myself. My justification rests in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, make us like tax collectors. Make us like children. Don't let us exalt ourselves because you tell us, Jesus, that if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. We'll be brought low. Help us even now to humble ourselves, to recognize that you and you alone are what makes us right before God. Make us like the tax collector and the child. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and give praise to God uh, and give Him a